Welcome everyone to today's devotion. Uh, we're starting a, a brand new book. So after uh, what, about four weeks of looking through the Gospel of John, uh, we find ourselves in First and Second Thessalonians. Um, so the only gospel we've not looked at so far is Mark, and I think we'll do that first of the year. Uh, but First and Second Thessalonians uh, um, together is, I believe, eight chapters. Uh, so it'll take us a little less than, than two weeks. So by, by, by the end of next week, we will have completed First and Second Thessalonians. First Thessalonians only five chapters. Again, much in the New Testament, much smaller books than those longer gospels and Acts and Revelation. Uh, one thing to note about First Thessalonians 1 is, um, is that it's a very early book in, in the New Testament. The Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, probably come in the 60s. Um, John's writings probably come in the 80s or 90s. Um, and then, uh, uh, but what you have in Thessalonians is probably between 50, 52 AD. I think most scholars are pretty certain on that. Pauline authorship isn't really questioned, stuff like that. Um, and so it's an early book. It's not the earliest book. Uh, there's debate between Galatians and James for, for that honor. Nevertheless, it, it is, it is an, an early book, uh, and thus it gives us some insight into uh, the earliest forms of Christianity. Uh, the book is written to a young church, um, the story of the Thessalonian church being established in Acts 17, I believe it is, maybe 16. But uh, So it's an early church, and, it, and, and they're dealing with persecution. And so Paul writes in these two books... Uh, yes, he deals with a lot of end-time issues, but he deals with those issues in the context of suffering. Much of the New Testament is in the context of suffering, which is why the Bible is written in a real cultural uh, context and w- with real-life backgrounds that it's dealing with. So it doesn't just descend from above as, as other uh, 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 religious texts have, whereas the Bible bleeds from from the experiences of those who, who are the first readers. And in the book, uh, uh, Jesus and God and, and on all those terms um, are just saturating the two books. So uh, the two books contain 136 verses total. It's not, not very many at all. Uh, and of those 136 verses, there are 150 references to God, Jesus, or both, as well as over a dozen references to the Holy Spirit. So, so this, this text is just saturated with uh, Trinitarian theology. Um, let's skip down to verse 2. Verse 1 is uh, basic introductory stuff. Uh, verse 2 uh, is only a, a 10-verse chapter, so I thought we'd read, read the rest of it. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mention you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work and faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that is the v- verse two verses that you'll find in all the uh, Thinking of You cards or, or whatever it might be. If it's from Dayspring, it's going to have uh, these passages or the one from Philippians and, and whatnot. Um, um, but, but you see that immediately Paul is beginning his, his letter, of, uh, uh, which you're going to do with some difficult issues. Uh, but he begins with thanksgiving. He's thankful for uh, the members. Uh, verse 4, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you, not in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for, for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Let's just pause there. Uh, Paul's talking about, look, you, you've been called to faith, right? You were chosen and you received the gospel, and you became imitators of us. Now, when we think of imitators, we rightly think of good works, holiness, godliness through the Spirit, stuff like that. And that, 
that's true. It's, it's, it's what Paul means, that as we imitate Jesus, may you imitate us. And so, so the whole point is, everyone is imitating Jesus. Though we may do so imperfectly, that's still the goal here. However, notice Paul adds detail there. It isn't just that you became imitators of us in the way of righteousness, but you've become imitators of us in a ways of suffering. Affliction is the word that he uses here. And, and so the Thessalonian story mirrors that of Paul. Everywhere Paul goes, he begins in the synagogues and is kicked out of the synagogues and suffers for it, and he goes to the Gentiles. And even though the Gentiles are more receptive to, the, to his gospel, he still suffers under the hands of the Gentiles. We saw in 2 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 12, where Paul gives, gives one example after another of all the times that he suffered, uh, being stoned to death, shipwrecked, uh, uh, led through a hole in the wall to escape, um, uh, left for dead in Lystra, stuff like that. And Paul says, look, the imitating Christ brings with it suffering. Think about how opposite that is of, of, of the American gospel. American gospel says imitating Christ, Christ brings joy, happiness, peace, and blessing. Now, it does bring joy and peace, but not the sort of joy and peace that, 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 that you can purchase and buy and bargain with. But rather, it's rooted in the cross. Christianity is founded in suffering. It doesn't deny suffering, nor does it say you can escape suffering if you've got enough Jesus juice. But rather it says with, with righteousness will come suffering. It's part of living in a fallen world. The difference is that we have an answer in a way through uh, suffering. He goes on, um, uh, their suffering became an example for believers in Macedonia and Achaia. That's a very practical point there. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth as it were, so that we need to not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath of God. Notice that their reputation as being faithful followers of Jesus, despite suffering and affliction, um, is, is what Paul's really emphasizing here. Look, have the sort of faith, he says, to where other people will know that you're the real deal. So as you imitate Christ, and people seek to imitate you. And you'll notice in that last verse, he's, he's hinting at where he's going to uh, go further. And, and he, he'll deal with issues uh, regarding the end time. So uh, not only have you turned from idols to the one true living God, but you, you wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, so Jesus risen from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now let me just add an apologetic note here. Uh, again, this is within about 20 years of the resurrection, and Paul is clearly proclaiming that Jesus is risen bodily from the dead. And, and notice that this is what he told the Thessalonians when he uh, planted the church there, which means that within 15 years of, of the resurrection, Paul has proclaimed the resurrection in Thessalonica. Right? The 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 historical nature of the resurrection is very early um, in history, which means it hasn't had time to be developed as a legend or myth or anything like that. But what you need to see here is it's where we're going. Paul will deal a lot with the end times, but he isn't concerned with charts and, and selling books. He's concerned with how everyday believers live in light of the certainty that Christ will return. Hope to see you tomorrow. We'll talk about it some more.